tomato scale? Rotten tomato. Somebody goes, what? I know. Apparently, it's a tells you how good a movie is, but they know nothing. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think that there's something happening um, in our our culture, our our cultural moment, the time in which we live. Um, I think that the spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the the person of the Trinity that is at work in the world today, who's taken all things that that Jesus did and said, and has breathed life into them and is moving through the. I, I just think something's happening in our world. Um, I think people are desperate for truth. Um, so much so we try to define it ourselves. We just want truth. People want truth. And we're really good at, at sniffing out phonies because we've all been lied to a lot about what's good, what's true, and, and then it's not. And if you have any street sense at all, and I know a lot of us do, as you grow up, you learn to stiff, sniff out phonies because you sort of feel like people just want something from you all the time. I believe that it's a move of God's spirit to show us that he is something more. And you hear about the, I don't know if any of you are, are aware, but the, in Kentucky right now, there's this place called um, Ashbury. Is it Ashbury or Asbury? Yeah, I've been known to not pronounce things right. Um, but there's just a move of God's spirit that's happening at a, at a college campus. And, um, and it's a very, it's like a beautiful thing. It's just these kids... We're having their, their chapel, the Christian University. They have chapel a couple times a week. I used to ditch chapel at my college so I could go snowboarding. Um, these kids weren't doing that. As a matter of fact, they stayed after chapel, a few of them. And you know how this whole thing started? 100,000 people, it has been said, to have come through this little community of 3,000 or something in the last week. And it started after chapel. About 19 kids hung around. And they just wanted to just get their hearts right with God because they just felt like they've been just life. Anyone ever feel like you need to get your heart right with God? You've been angry. You've been this. You've been that. And so it just started as a simple prayer of like, Lord, I know when I try to get my heart right with God, it's, it's something along the lines of, Lord, I was, it was just out of character for me. It was definitely out of that what I did was out of character for you. And that's not the rhythm of my life that I want. So I'm just asking, Lord, that you would thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. I want to walk in who you say I am, not who I say I am. And these things like this is getting your heart right with God. And it said it started with 19 kids, and then gradually throughout the day, the building, the room filled up with more. By the evening, there's like hundreds of places, hundreds of people in there, and the place is packed. And that chapel service went on for like 10 days straight. There's, what I'm saying is God is doing something. And it has to do with what is true, what is pure, what is from God, not from man. I believe there's something happening in our, in our time and in our culture. And the reason I asked Dave to get up, I haven't seen the Jesus Revolution yet. I'm going to go see it. But the person who wrote it and produced it, Pastor Greg Laurie, someone that I've looked up to and followed forever and ever, and Calvary Chapel Church, we're... We're in the fellowship of the Calvary Global Network and because I believe that what started Calvary Chapel, I believe it's happening. I want to be part of it. And let me just tell you, it was real messy. It was real weird for some people. Um, there was a lot of moving parts. Some people wanted to avoid it. And it wasn't just a Calvary Chapel thing. It was a move of God around the world and people who embraced the broken, embraced the hurting, embraced the new, embraced those that didn't know anything about the Bible, embraced the deconstructing and all of the different stuff. God blessed what they were doing. And he moved and his church grew. And we are, are living in the fruit from times like that. And as you no know, fast forward 100 years, it's hard to imagine but I want people to be living in the fruit of what God is doing here. And so what we do is we are a product of things that have gone before us, and we want to take our turn 
to be a blessing in the future. All that to be said. I think one of the things that's moving right now is that people are open. People are open to Jesus. Now, here's the problem with the Northwest. Human nature in general. People are open to Jesus, I believe it. People aren't open to church. Because they equate what they've heard in bad movies with what the church does and who Jesus is. But I believe people are open to Jesus in a new way and in a strong way. And um, I think now is the time to invite people to come to church. Um, simply, hey, dude, you should come to church with me. You don't have to say dude. But to your neighbor, the people that God is, is working, your coworker, it's a time to be like, you know what? You should come to church with me one day. I think you'd really be open or into what is happening there. It's a group of people that are looking to God for direction or however it is, even if it's you should come. I believe there's an openness to the spirit of God right now. And people just need to be invited so they know that they're welcome. Now, our church is growing. Things are happening. But we got empty seats. And there are people that are empty of Jesus in their life. So let's bring them. And I just see, I see things like the movie and, and the, the thing happening in Kentucky. And it just shows me like God is on the move. I want to be a part of it. Anybody with me? Amen. All right. So <clears throat> we're talking about Jesus's rhythms. The things Jesus does. Rhythms mean something we don't just see once, but over and over. And as you read God's word, or if you've been a Jesus follower for a long time, or you haven't, let me just give you some, a little something here. When you read God's word, you're going to notice things. You start to notice them more and more and more over time. There are things that God does with like rhythm. It's like a, it's his heartbeat. Things that Jesus does. Patterns. One of the rhythms for us here at this church is to teach through the Bible. One of my callings on my life that I just want to do, I want to teach people the whole Bible. All of, all of God's word, all of God's heart, the entirety of, of who God is, I want to make that known to people. So if you've been around here a while, you know that we teach through books of the Bible. It's like part of what we do. It's part of the Calvary DNA when all those hippies were coming that didn't, knew nothing about nothing. Pastor Chuck, who started Calvary Chapel, he was like, well, maybe I should just teach him the Bible. And uh, actually, it was the Lord kind of just said, teach them the word. Because he had like topical messages and, and it was just moved on his heart, just like start teaching them the Bible. And that's how kind of that rhythm in Calvary got started. But I love teaching people God's word because if I can show people Jesus in his word, then they can see who he is for real. So that's part of what we do. That's why if you've been around, we teach through books of the Bible. Right now we're teaching topically through a series, which is good too. Because the rhythms that we're talking about are found in the scriptures. So if it's new for you, it's all good. We're, we're just looking at Jesus' rhythms. The reason we're doing it is, like I said at the beginning of this series, I think people are, have found themselves out of step, out of balance, and are searching. The past, and we're, we're doing a three-year, um, instead of, you know, we look at the last year. I think that the last three years have caused people to set up bad rhythms, new rhythms in their life that are bad. You know, when you carve and you start a new habit, it's hard to just quit. You fill that in with something else. And so there's just been stuff that's been carved out, but I think people want to take back those areas of their life. So it begins with, with new rhythms. In a few weeks, we're going to talk, we're going to take what Jesus has been doing and we're looking at, Jesus rhythms, and we're going somewhere with this series. We're going to zoom, we're zooming out, or we're, excuse me, we're zooming really in on the person of Jesus. 
And we're also zooming out and we're looking at the early church, the world around us. And then we're going to zoom back in specifically and talk about things that are important to us here at the bridge. So I know there's a lot of you that are new and that have been coming, asking questions about the church. And um, so I'm going to preach a series just about our, our mission, our vision, our values, what's important to us. So we're headed somewhere with this, the, the rhythms that we have and why we do the things that we do. So this week, I want to talk to you about one of Jesus's rhythms. The title of my message is The Rhythm of Risk. The Rhythm of Risk. Risk means to take a chance. I actually love looking these words up in the dictionary. I'm like, what does Marion and Webster have to say about this? What does dictionary.com have to say about this? What does thesaurus.com have to say about this? And, um, but this is a good definition. Risk. The term calculated risk describes an action that someone takes that might not succeed, but is worth taking the chance. So I have a couple things that risk is, and then I want to show us four things that Jesus was in the pattern of taking risks on. All right? Risk is this. Risk is stepping into the unknown. It's stepping into something that you don't totally know what could be. Risk is exposing, isn't it? You have to put yourself out there. This is why I love sports. This is why I love singing. Not personally. I don't take a whole lot of risk. But um, when a person hits a note that it takes the entirety of who they are to hit it, that's risky. You put your whole self out there. And when someone does it and you get the chills and you get like the tear, that's because you just watch someone take a risk and succeed. That's why I hate the fail videos on America's Got Talent or American Idol or whatever show that they show people that are horrible. I can't watch it because I hate watching people fail. I love watching people succeed. That's, it's exposing. The third thing that risk is, is risk is necessary for Jesus' people. It's sort of not a peripheral thing. It's sort of who we are. It's part of Jesus' rhythm, and as he pours his spirit into us, it becomes part of our rhythm. It's, it's necessary. Here's the thing when we hear why that can be scary. Some of us like taking big steps. We like big things. Some take smaller steps. Some of us are about the big. We like lots of people, lots of movement, lots of adventure. Some people are more quiet-spirited, an introspective nature. Some of us shut down in crowds. We don't open up. We're more comfortable with intimate settings. One-on-one is the pace that we like to go, not big crowds. Some of us wear our hearts on our sleeves. We're sort of like, this is who I am. Which can be off-putting to some. It depends on the way you give yourself to others. Um, But you're kind of like, this is who I am. And some people, it takes a lot of time for them to, like I said, one of Jesus' rhythms, he's good at peeling people back bit by bit. Some of us are an open book, and some of us need the right circumstances to share something. And whatever you are, you typically notice that in Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't either or. He was both. He did big and small. He, He took a risk by talking to many people, or he took risks when he was having individual conversations with people. Yeah, Jesus took risks, deliberate ones, because here's why. He knew the potential outcome. He knew what he was looking for. He knew what he saw. He sees things we don't. He sees a harvest when oftentimes we just see a barren, overgrown field. So I want to talk about four ways Jesus took risks. 
we'll look at a couple of scriptures. Before we move into these rhythms, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you for that song. Thank you for our worship teams. Thank you for the Conant family, Lord, as they were thinking about going, even as they went a second week and the rhythms that, that, that they have in their life with work and school and family, and yet getting together and preparing a set and coming and leading us. We are blessed, Lord. I'm thinking about what we sang this morning. You make things new, and you make me new. There is a newness, a renewal by your spirit, by your word, by being amongst your people that you want to do. And I believe that. And we believe that. So we ask, Lord, that you would do a new work of love and grace this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's look at these four risk rhythms that Jesus had. The first one is this. Jesus took risky steps. Jesus took risky steps. What do I mean by that? He went to risky places. He went to, it says that he had to go. The Spirit drove him to the desert where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a risky place. It says, I, last week we looked at this. He goes, I have to go through Samaria. The disciples were like, dude, please don't. Can we go around like we usually do? That's a hard place. People don't like us there. There's racial tension there. There's cultural tension there. We don't want to go. And Jesus said, I have to go. You guys remember why? There was a woman that needed to know who he was. She was hurting. She was ready to receive truth. There's where, one where he says, when they were going to a place, he had to pass through a graveyard. You know why? Not to visit somebody's tomb, but there was a demon-possessed man living in these tombs who had been living out there in the wilderness because no one knew what to do with them, and he was a danger to himself and others. So all they knew to do to this man was put him in chains and shackles and send him away. Because if, if we put the broken out of our minds and out of our sight, and out of our day-to-day -day rhythms, then we can pretend that that stuff doesn't exist. And Jesus says, I have to go there. And when they got out, this man came. You can read about it in, mm, I can't remember, one of the Gospels. So it's awesome. Uh, John chapter 4, maybe? Anyways, he had to go to the graveyard. Risky place. Jesus, you know where he found his followers? He didn't find him in Bible college or at seminary. He went to the docks. Anybody seen uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Remember Tortuga? Yeah. Jesus went to Tortuga and found some fishermen on the docks and said, you guys follow me. That is a risky place. <clears throat> but he went not because that he was taking risks for risk's sake but because he saw the potential in those places. This is where we get the rhythm of mission. We like to, maybe we, the church has grown, like mission is something that you get a group of people together to do, and then you go someplace on a mission trip. And that's awesome. Actually, hopefully you hang out for our uh, financial uh, budget thing that we're doing after church because we want to set some side set some money aside specifically for future mission stuff that we would like to see in the next year um, but that's not what missions is just in and of itself mission is not a place you go it's a way in which you live uh, on mission more like man on a mission woman on a mission not let's take a mission trip but this is where we get the rhythm we want to go places. We want to see, uh, we see the potential in these places, in these people. Uh, not to make people like us, but for people to know who Jesus is. That's 
why he took risky steps. Jesus took risks. The second one is this. He, Jesus had risky conversations. He went to places not for the place but for the people. And one thing that Jesus had a rhythm of doing was crossing every border that man built. He would cross physical borders. He would go into actual geographic regions where he shouldn't go, where people may not welcome him. But he would cross every border that people built up in their hearts. This is what I was talking about when I say I think people are open in a new way. I think people realize, are realizing in a, in, a, in a fresh way. I think we've always known this, but there's kind of these cycles in life. We build up walls. We protect ourselves. We realize I'm lonely and broken. And there are times where those walls kind of come crumbling down for one reason or another, and we're open to love. We're open to people in our lives. Jesus crossed the borders that people built, physical and otherwise. The risky conversations he had, they weren't just bold words, but they were boldly seeking out faraway people. We have a saying around here, Jesus loves long shots. Jesus loves the long shots. He stood with people in their unique situations, in their unique brokenness, and he always had a way of speaking their language. Let me give you an example of this in scripture. Will you open up to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, it's the third book of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. And in Luke chapter 18, I want to read you guys what I'm talking about. Jesus have, going to risky places, having risky conversations. I'm going to I'm just going to read this. You can look at it later in the week on your own. Um, but I want to show you one, two, three. Uh, there's like four conversations that are here just right, boom, 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 one on top of another, where Jesus went to unique places and talked to unique people, but he took these risks. So let's start in chapter 18, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Get your kids out of here. But Jesus called to them and saying, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Risky statement. But what he was showing is he was showing people that his value system was different. He was saying, what you overlook, I see perfectly. As a matter of fact, you can learn from these kids. The way they come to me, that's how I want the world to come to me. That's how you actually receive the kingdom of God, like a child. Not like a scholar, like a child. Next, and a rich young ruler said to him, so this dude is young, balling, drives a nice car, looks real sharp, good job, um, the, type of, the type of kid every, every mom and dad would be, be happy to give their daughter to. And he comes looking the part to Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's got all this stuff, but he's still wanting something, something eternal, something, something deeper. What must I do? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness like lie about other people. Honor your mom and dad. And the, the young guy said, all of these I have kept from my youth. Probably didn't ask his mom or dad that first. Hey, how am I doing at these things? This is, he was taking his own self-assessment. I'm good at all that stuff. When Jesus said, heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. Distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. 
and then come and follow me. But the young man, when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. I mean, his value system was based on who he was, how people saw him, what he had, what he could do, all of that. It was a different system than what God had. There's a lot in here. I just want to simply look at the conversation. And then Jesus said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? What he's saying is, how difficult is it for people whose ultimate value system is the way of man to enter completely into the way of God? Because when you come and lay your life down before Jesus, at the depth of who you are, you say, I trust you, the way of God, over me, the way of man. He's like, how hard is that? And then people heard him say that, and they're like, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Risky place, risky conversation. So much so his disciples were like, wait a minute. Well, what about us? How does that work? And Jesus had a conversation with them. Flip the page, go to the next one. Jesus heals a, a, a beggar. So imagine Jesus coming to a town. Now, if you were raised in, in Judaism, you were, had been waiting for this moment because you were told in the Old Testament that there, you were about to have a king. He was going to show up. He was going to make war against the oppressors, storm the capital, burn the building, take over, and we're back in, we're back in business. So as Jesus' ministry was taken off, this was really taking traction. So they used to be like, he would come and be like, Are you, is this it? Are you ready? We're ready. What do we need to do? Let's go. And so there was like a seriousness to who he was and that he was going to be this political, um, like freedom fighter for them. So they roll into this town, and as they come in, this nobody guy, beggar, we don't have his name, but in the community, there's nobody. And it says that this man, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. He was like, what's going on? And someone said to him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were with him rebuked him, tell him to be quiet. They're like, shh. You're a nuisance. And then it says, but he cried out all the more, loud, um, interrupting, awkward. It's, it's, uh, it's a rhythm of Jesus that the ones that kind of bother the crowds aren't even invited to the dinner. Uh, those people, those long shots, those are the ones that, that Jesus takes risks on. Jesus heard them. And he said, bring that man here. And when the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe some of you actually, that's what you needed to hear today, and you should circle that verse. Because Jesus is asking, what is it that you want me to do for you? And the man said, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately recovered his sight and followed him. The rich young ruler walked away this man followed then after this there's Zacchaeus Zacchaeus was a tax collector he was trying to prove something his whole life that he was better than others because he had always been made to feel like he wasn't good so he took advantage of his job and he took advantage of people and Jesus was walking by and maybe you know the story Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree why because he was a wee man. He was a short guy, and he couldn't see. And he climbed up in the tree, and as Jesus was walking by, he didn't call out to Jesus, but Jesus turned and said, Zacchaeus. People were so mad. Why would Jesus notice Zacchaeus? That guy's a pile. Why wouldn't he notice me? I'm good. I'm, I'm this. And he looks at him, and he goes, Zacchaeus, come down. You're going to have me over for dinner at your house tonight. He had to go there. And Zacchaeus is all. 
and he came down and people were mad that Jesus was showing him like love and dapping him up in front of everybody. And so they go to Zacchaeus' house and they have a meal. And as they're eating, Zacchaeus is broken for what he had done. He's like, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get things right. Jesus wasn't like, this is how you get right. Zacchaeus, just in his, what God was doing, he's like, I'm going to repay people times four or times five or something. What am I saying? The point is this. Jesus would be risky with people. He took risks on people. And some of the things he said, there was a chance that they would be rejected. Jesus speaks the language of people. I don't know your world. I don't know what your neighborhood is like. It's probably something like mine. There are people in my neighborhood that are like super good friends to us. They're like family. They go to a church down the street. God speaks the language of their family dynamic. They're one of their daughters who's in college and the other one who has graduated high school and still up here. God speaks their language. The people down the street that I talk to at the coffee shop when I go in and study, God speaks their language. He knows what's going on in their lives. The Zacchaeuses of the world, the children of the world, God crosses borders. He has risky conversations. Zoom it into yourself. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I follow Jesus with my life. I want to know his will for my life. I've received, I've laid my life before his feet and asked him to forgive me of my sin and I want to be with him forever and whatever languages you put around being an apprentice and a disciple of Jesus. If that's you this morning, someone had a risky conversation with you. Someone was willing to risk their comfort zone and yours to share eternal truth with you. They were willing to cross whatever borders you had built up. I remember my whole my story. And I know that what it's like when you're trying to talk with someone and you want to share and you want to be helpful and you don't want you want to do it the right way. Like I said last week, Jesus knows. The Spirit knows how he wants to teach whether by example or by proclamation or by peeling away, just chipping away at a hard heart and it takes time. But Jesus had risky conversations. I love that about him. He wasn't about playing it safe. He was about taking chances on people. The third one is this. Jesus took a risk on love. You could say that. I also was thinking about calling it Jesus took a risk on the cross. See, love is risky. You put your whole self out there taking a risk that you could be rejected. I remember, Steph's not in here, she, I don't think it would embarrass her, but I remember the first time I kissed my wife. She was not my wife yet. She was just this girl that I was really into, and I think she was into me too. Pretty sure I was worth taking this risk. But I was sitting there, and I, I remember we were hanging out. We were watching a snowboard video, very romantic. <laughs> and I just remember being like, I'm going to kiss her. And then I was like, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. I'm going to do it. You better not. Back and forth in my head. It's like, what will happen if she pushes you away? And it's like, what are you doing? Because we were best friends. And we still are best friends. It was risky. But it was a risk I was willing to take. Because of the potential. Love is risky. That's my point. You put yourself out there, your whole self, and there's a chance that someone will be like, mm -mm. I don't want you back. No one in the history of the world has done that more than Jesus did. He put himself all the way out there. The Bible says, when you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were even enemies of God, like I, the people say the gnarliest things towards Jesus. Subconsciously, the most famous cuss word around is Jesus' name. People don't even know what they're saying. Um, 
by the way, if you want to like drive people crazy, it'll drive them crazy at first, and it'll become endearing. If you're around people that say Jesus all the time, just go, loves you, man. <laughs> people with me, they, they, were, they drove them crazy. And then after a while, they would be like, Jesus, I know, JJ, he loves me. <laughs> it'll stick with them. Jesus risked it all on the cross. He risked it all. The place where he put out the entirety of his love, he put it out there for people to either accept it or reject it, but he did it anyways. It was on the cross that people spit on him and hurled insults. In the moment that he was literally giving his life for the entire world, that there would be a bridge between broken, sinful man and perfect God and Jesus would say, I am the way. Anyone that would come through me, take my yoke upon me, I will lead you in this way. We'll bridge the gap. You will be forgiven. There can be newness, renewal, repentance, all of these things, this beautiful thing. And people are like, what a joke. Well, if you're God, pull yourself, pull the nails out of your hands. Like they are saying the gnarliest stuff to him. And we live in a place where people still do that. But I believe that Jesus sees potential still in them. You know why? I said Jesus loves long shots. Let me tell you something. A long shot stands before you. A long shot sits in your chair. You probably weren't the probable choice when you think about... uh, what's good and perfect and and right in this world, and yet Jesus says, no. I knew exactly what I was doing, he would say. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for people to reject because it was in this risk that he knew that all may be reconciled to his Father, that all may believe. And then he tells us that's actually the greatest love there is. There's no riskier love than laying down your life for someone else. Jesus took risks. Last one is this. Jesus took a risk on us. Jesus took risky steps. Jesus had risky conversations. Jesus took a risk on the cross. And Jesus took a risk on us. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He spent 50 days after his resurrection being with his disciples, teaching people. Then he ascended back to heaven, and and he has this rad teaching where he's like, I'm going to go back, I'm going to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit is going to come and be with you, and the stuff that you saw me do, you guys are going to do more than that. And they're like, what? He's like, it's good that I go. And the Spirit of God came just, well, in Acts chapter 2. It's when the church started. These people were sitting around. They were having a worship night. There weren't cool lights. and They were just hanging out, praying, worshiping the Lord. And then it says, this wind came through, shook the whole place. God filled them with his spirit. And they started speaking in new languages perfectly that they had never, there was no Rosetta Stone involved. They just spoke these languages. And in Acts 2, it was during the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was the biggest feast in Jerusalem throughout the whole year. Everybody came down because it was the Feast of the Harvest. It was like the best food of the year. It's like Thanksgiving style. So tons of people were in Jerusalem. And it was this perfect cultural moment where people were ready for something. And God pours out his spirit. And he pours it out on this group of people, 120 people. Who was this group of people? Well... When this happens and they're speaking these new languages, in Acts chapter 2, 
It says this. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, in verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And this sound, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were puzzled, bewildered, because each one was hearing this group of people speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who speak Galileans? Jesus took a risk on us. The first people that he had share his good news with others. They weren't the devout men from every nation under heaven. They were the people that he took a risk on on the docks and on the byways and the people that he had picked up along the way, the nobodies. So much so that the crowd said, aren't they Galileans? That's like, um, I don't use the term redneck, but it's sort of like the people from out there, the country bumpkins. Like they're not even educated. The Galileans were, Galileans were kind of known for not a lot of education, doing it their own way. Um, yeah. They make TV shows about them now. It's called like Alone and stuff, and you live in Alaska. You know what I mean? You're like, wow, how'd they figure that out? Uh, that's what people, that's what this means. Like, wait, aren't those people those people? How is it that we hear stuff spoken in our own language? Because God speaks their language. How is it that he is using them? Because God takes a risk on people. After this, Peter and John, two of the disciples, end up standing in a courtroom after something miraculous had happened. And this is what it says about them. When they looked at Peter and John and they realized that they were uneducated men and they realized that they were untrained men, they were blown away. And they realized the only explanation was those men had been with Jesus. Jesus took a risk on them. Jesus takes a risk on you. Jesus takes a risk on me. It's not that you have it all on your own. It's that Jesus sees potential in you. That's why we've been talking about this stuff every week. You don't have it yourself. He gives you what you need as you simply respond to who he is. So I say just take one step of faith. See what God will do. In this new year, if you, see, if you have a goal to have your will like Jesus be more like the will of the Father, put one rhythm into practice and see what God will do. This morning we were praying before church, and this is what I saw in my mind. I saw, um, I saw the table from the movie Hook. Anybody ever seen the movie Hook? Okay, it's one of the greatest movies of all time, people. You need to go watch it. Robin Williams plays Peter Pan. What is better than that? But there's a, there's a scene in the movie where the Lost Boys are gathered around this table, okay? And they're about to have a meal. And I, was just, I just saw this, this table with like this crazy spread of food, and I saw plenty of empty seats. That's what I was thinking. The food is prepared. It's already been cooked. All this stuff has gone into, into uh, planning and preparation for this table to be prepared and ready. And all you had to do was show up. And you did, all you had to do, and you could eat as much as, you, as your hunger, as hungry as you were, you could eat that much. I kind of feel that way about the Lord and people. It's prepared from the foundations of the world, the Bible says. How much does God want to feed this person? He risked it all for them. Yeah, but they are this type of person or that type of person. Yeah, that's Jesus' favorite type of person. That he risked it all. And all he asked for in return for them is that they would grab a seat at the table. Number one, they got to know they're invited to the table. Number two, they got to know they're welcome at the table. Number three, it's even better when they know there's a seat saved for them at the table. And that they can eat whatever they want.
So if you believe that, then putting one rhythm into practice that you see Jesus do, and it's not this big religious task, it's just an opportunity for God to do something new in your life, that you would grow, that you would understand more. Because regardless if you've been a pastor for a hundred years, or you're the Pope, or you're, you're nobody as far as the world con, con, uh, is concerned, listen to this. Take a good look, friends. This is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, but I'm reading it in the message translation because I want you guys to hear this. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. This is Paul writing a letter to a church, by the way, that was kind of struggling with some pride and some different things. And he's like, look around. You're not the cream of the crop. Not many from high society families. But isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose how hollow pretensions of the somebodies, to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, Blow a trumpet for God. In your translation, it probably says, if you're going to boast, we boast in the cross. We boast in Jesus. So concluding this morning, the purpose of looking at these rhythms for Jesus isn't for us to just do them and get better, but it's for us to reconnect with God, connect in a new way with God, open ourselves up to a new pattern After all this happened, I would like to close our time this morning with the, I'm going to pray the prayer that they prayed. In Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, after all this had happened, this group of people gathered together and they prayed this prayer. And I think this is a prayer of renewal, repentance, all of the things for God to do something new. And um, so I want to read it to you. And then uh, I'm going to say a prayer in closing. So this is what they said. After all this was going on, there was rad stuff. There was really hard stuff. All the stuff that was happening. It says, and now, Lord, they gathered together and, and they prayed in a place. Now, Lord, will you hear their threats? Like, listen, like, will you hear everything that they're saying about us? And would you give us, your servants, great boldness, and preach in your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God liked this prayer. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. Boldness means risk. It means seeing what could be and going for it. It doesn't mean rude. It doesn't mean mean. It doesn't mean disrespectful. It doesn't mean that you can say, I just tell it like it is. That's not what that means. That means you're saying what you want to hear. Because Jesus speaks the language of that person. So the prayer should be, Lord, help me to tell them how you would, how it is. That word par, parousia, boldness, it means free. It means, this was convicting to me. It says, it means to not use many words when few will do. I was like, oh. It means cheerful courage. It means not vague what is it to follow Jesus? Someone says, what is it to follow God? She's like, well, you just sort of like wake up and walk around barefoot. 
because Jesus was barefoot, or get some chacos, and you just kind of want to be nice. and It's specific. I want my will to be joined with God's will. I want to do what he has in my life. It's, uh, it's helping people to walk with Jesus themselves. In their prayer meeting, they tapped into a rhythm. They said, Lord, as you have always done, you have taken risks on people. You took risks on us, and would you give us your heart, your spirit, your word, your boldness, that we may respond with the risks you've taken on us, and we would take it on others. That was the first, one of the first prayers of the new church. That was the prayer in every revival that has happened as there's this sense of God you love us so much look at what you've done we want to see that for others and there's a prayer and there's a shakenness and there's a spirit that gets stirred up so I want to pray that prayer over us if that's your heart that's what you want to see in your life more in your life in your world I would just ask that you would pray this with me um, you could even uh, why don't we stand together to our feet and our as our worship team comes up we're going to close with this and then we'll seal it by singing this last song. So, Lord, that's our prayer. We pray that you would look at the condition of this world. I want to pray that we pray that you would look at the brokenness. We believe you see the brokenness in this room. I believe you see the brokenness in my heart. I believe you see my family. I believe you see um, my, our city. We believe you see our country. We believe you see our culture. We believe you see the whole world. We believe that you love people and you desire that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. Meaning all would know you for who you really are. So Lord, we pray that you would look on the condition of this world and that you would grant to us a new measure of grace. That we wouldn't leave here prideful that we have something to say, but we would leave here blown away by the risk you've taken on us. And I pray, Lord, if there is one person in this room that doesn't know the depth of your love for them, the plan of your rhythms of life in them. Lord, I pray by your spirit right now that you would speak to them and you would tell them that I have called you to follow me. And they would know that they could not leave this place without giving their life to you because you are the way. You are the truth and you are the life, Lord. So Father, we commit our church to you. We commit our city to you. We commit our hearts to you. We sing the song as a response to your goodness. And may you be with us when we walk from this place. May we be people on mission because you are on mission. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said.